0: Okay, if you would, please turn to Mark, chapter 12. I'll be reading Mark 12, verses 29 to 31, after we pray. Father, thank you for opening our eyes to know and to love the fact that you are the maker of heaven and earth in all things that are not God and that they're made for your glory and that it's your joy to bring your creature into your glory to enjoy you forever. May every eye, every heart in this room, in this holy place because your people are here know this. Come into it and love it. And to that end, help me unfold the truth of the gospel-producing care, concern, affection, and actions of love toward each other. To the glory of Your name. Amen. Mark 12, verses 29 to 31. Jesus answering the question, What is the greatest commandment? He answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And with all your strength. The second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So I want to open with a question in this morning's sermon, and that's simply this Do you view these words of Jesus that we have just read as the high standard that He put forth in order to show you how sinful you are and that's it. It's just there to show you how how you fall short so that you can get on to something other than that, different than that and that is make your profession of faith in Christ and be saved. Is that how you view what Jesus just said. Or, do you view these words as the goal and the process of what new life in Jesus is doing and producing? In other words, as the grid, not of sinless perfection down here, but as the grid of genuine conversion to Jesus. Now, to help you answer that question, I want you to contemplate just three passages from the Bible. First, we've heard already, we'll hear again this morning. John 13, verses 34 to 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. That is, if you have love for one another. Paul declared in Galatians 5, the fruit... Of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit is love, meaning there you're loving other persons horizontally. And in first John chapter three, he writes By this it is evident who are the children of God. That's his way of saying who are Christians. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. By what? Here it is. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And in chapter 4 he writes, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And so this morning's point is this. Love. Benevolent love. Horizontal love between us, the creature. It is a fruit of new birth. It is a fruit of being indwelt by the third person of the Holy Trinity who is the personification of joy in God. Our joy in God bears the fruit of going flat, horizontal, and expressing, doing, loving deeds toward others. That's this morning. This is the sixth week in the series, God's purpose in redemptive history. So, let me summarize where we've been, bring it up to this morning in a few seconds. First, God is absolutely complete, contented, happy, needless in the Holy Trinity. Father to Son, Son to the Father, And the very personification of that completeness is personified in the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he did create and with a motive. And it wasn't the motive to get something he didn't already have. All of his needs were met in the Trinity. He created in order to overflow with what he has or is. That's his glory. Therefore, He created in order to love us benevolently. Thirdly, we saw last week, how shall we therefore respond vertically to God? By going to Him to get. To get our need, love. To get our, in other words, needs for, for contentment and happiness and peace forever. Which brings us to this morning. How are we to respond horizontally to one another? And the answer is not what I just said. Not to use each other to get our need love met. That's vertical. With God we go there. We love each other benevolently to overflow with the supply that God gives to us in our salvation and in the work of the Holy And so, in other words, my contention this morning is that biblically, genuine love that Jesus is talking about, that His disciples or apostles are talking about, that that genuine love is the overflow of the vertical joy that we have in God. And through that, it is meeting the needs of others. It is that Joy, expressed and sensed dynamically, even more so as it works through us toward others horizontally. Ah, oh, I come to Jesus. Do you see it? Yes. It's, I can't believe this news. What happened? The light shined upon us. Remember, we talked about free action. Necessary acts, our necessary act is met in Him, and being met in Him, we're free. Now what? I'm going to contend there's something about that salvation, that experience that impels us to share that joy outwardly and horizontally in meeting the needs of others. Or to say it differently, there is something about that joy in Christ by the Spirit that has a mustness to it. just got to go outward with it. Let me start with Romans 1 for a moment. Listen to Paul's words writing to the Roman church. He's never been there, met them. He didn't plant this church, but he wants to get there. In verses 14 and 15, he writes... I am under obligation. You can translate that same word and it means this. I am a debtor. I owe you something. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And therefore, because of that, I am eager eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. The reason, he says, I'm eager, I really, really want to come is because I'm a debtor to do this. And so were we, debtors, to love people is Paul. Now the question is, what does that mean? See, not all, there's a kind of debt that he cannot be referring to. And we know this debt very well. This is the debt when you, you go to the bank and you take out a loan. Now you owe with interest. Off to work I go because I owe, I owe, I owe, I owe, I owe. It's not the pure joy of paying it back. You're in debt and you do have an obligation that's not what he's talking about there's another kind of debt that one comes into when they come across a prize or something that is so good so filling to them that others also need that they have a debt to share it now, I'm going to first go very slowly and try to, see, I want you to hear a story from Second Kings and to illustrate what I'm driving at here. Israel was besieged by the Syrians in the city of Samaria, locked in. The army is outside, ready to slaughter them all. They've cut off all food supply and water, and it's gotten to the place where the Israelites are starting to eat their own children. It's bad; they're all going to die. And I pick up the story, Second Kings, Kings seven, verse three. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate, the city Samaria. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, well, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we just sit here, we die also. So, now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians, the enemy. If they spare our lives, we shall live. If they kill us, so what? We're going to die anyway. And so they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, There was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they all fled. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent, and they ate, and they drank, And they carried off silver and gold and clothing. And they went and they hid them. Then they came back. And they entered another tent. And they carried off things from it. And they went and they hid them. I'm going to add something here then the Spirit of the Lord convicted them. Now, the rest is the text. They said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and, and just wait even till morning light, Punishment will overtake us. So now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. There's plenty of food for everybody. They stopped hoarding. If I can use, you can take my analogy, right? They found something vertically here. They're eating. They have more than enough. And into the future, as they hide these things away, they stopped hoarding because they realized they had a debt for all of Israel and the city of Samaria. How could they not share it? And they did. And it it doesn't... It has to be. Once they decided we're sinning, what great joy that must have been for them to say. The camp is empty. There's plenty of food and gold and silver and clothing for everybody as they're wasting away starving to death. What a joy. So Paul writes to the Romans, to people who are already Christians, I can't wait to preach the gospel to you, fellow believers. I can't wait. I want to get there. I have a debt that I owe. It's because it was his profound joy in declaring the good news. Again and again and again. That Christ has made a way to forgive sins so that God will be working in this temporal life everything together for your good if you love Him and are called according to His purpose. And So there is something about the experience of true joy in God vertically in the Gospel that must share itself because In the sharing of that joy, there is not a different joy, but a deeper and greater experience of that joy generating through you horizontally to others. And I will declare to the extent we hide it away is to the extent your joy in God is diminishing because you're not waking up to sin. I'm not doing right. So I'm going to read the whole text now again in Romans 1 that leads up to Paul talking about himself being a debtor. Listen to him. Kind of go back and forth. Paul's the leper. He's one of the lepers. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you getting to Rome. Why? Because I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift of mine to strengthen you. I have gifts. I want to use them. and want you blessed by them. That you be strengthened by them. And that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. I am under obligation I am a debtor to everyone and therefore I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome I long I'm eager if someone came to do a loving deed for you do you feel more loved let's just say uh, you had a baby you're laid up and they cook the dinner for you. And they say thank you. you say, look, I was on the list. Everyone's got to be on the list. And so I made dinner for you. And it's, don't worry. I mean, it's a little irritating because I have a lot of things to do with my own kids. But you feel loved that way? Or do you feel loved? And you can sense it's genuine you're saying, oh man, it makes me so happy that I can't. Do this. Okay. Joy, here's the contention. Joy vertically in God and that experience flowing this way is not just the icing on the cake, it is to be the motive of genuine love. Love cannot be defined merely by deeds. Most of the time when love is consisting of deeds, you can't define it without the deeds. Now I say that because I'm going to quote a sobering statement from the Apostle Paul in the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 3 if I give away everything that I have and if I even deliver my body to be burned sacrifice my life but I don't have love then I gain nothing I don't think he would have said that Unless Paul had a conception that it's possible to do all kinds of acts that are helpful to another person. Give away all you have to somebody and they're in need. For them, it's a big blessing. But he seems to think there's a way in which you can do ministry. You can do giving away your money and your stuff and even lay down your life and it not be what he calls Horizontal love. If he doesn't mean that, he's a really bad teacher. But not only that, he makes this statement at the end. If I don't have love in it, I personally gain nothing. Which means... He must have in mind there's some type of gain in loving others, or again. if he doesn't, it's pretty bad writing. And there is gain. There's bad gain horizontally in loving others when we use each other as a means to our end. Oh we well, look at that. I, I fed them. I gave them this, I gave them my time, and now I have a reason down the line, you know, as the Mafia boss would say, don't worry I'll let you know. The great illustration, not love. If a Mafia Don does you a great service, there are strings attached and therefore it is not love because genuine horizontal love ends on the person's experience of joy or happiness or satisfaction in what you provided for them. Period. End. Of issue. There's a gain that's wrong, but there is a gain that is beautiful and it's right. And I just gave you the illustration. It is my joy. To serve you this food this night. I'm happy to bring it over and spend a little time with you. It's not only what God wants for you, it is more loving to the other person when they realize they really have joy in meeting my need. That game that is right, you can even see it a few verses later there in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul makes a statement. Love, and he's referring here to horizontal love now. As you do those things, love rejoices in the truth. To rejoice in something means there's something about that thing you rejoice in that you find joy in that thing. So as the Christian is walking in genuine love, there's something about that that is finding joy in truth. And he's not talking here about scientific facts of truth. He clearly is referring to Him who is true. To the Gospel of truth. To eternity that makes every sacrifice down here worth. While wow. so, this vertical joy in God desiring to overflow horizontally that was so great in Paul's life that it caused him to make choices that would put him in very, say, uncomfortable sacrificial situations. Do you remember the litany in 2 Corinthians 11? He lays out. He wouldn't have experienced these things. He said, look, it's not worth it. I'm going to abandon the mission field. Just go build a cabin somewhere in the mountains and live out my life. But he didn't. And therefore, he says, this is what it cost me. Greater labors, imprisonment, beatings, often near death, sleepless nights, hunger, etc. Why, Paul? Because he was one of the lepers. He found something. And he had a commission. The news that he had to give was so great beyond anything for him and those who would believe it beyond anything in this temporal world. And so he went. So the point is that Paul's conception of horizontal, benevolent love is authentic only when it is the extension of his vertical love for God. I mean, think about, it. I mean I mean that because okay. now, wouldn't it be kind of weird, strange, and almost, if not contradictory, if the apostle Paul, the one who said, whatsoever is not of faith, is sin. You're feeding the poor person. You're bringing that meal over there. You're supporting your local church. On and on and on and on. Wouldn't it be weird if he says, whatever you do, but if it's not of faith, vertical in God has to do with that, it is sinful, that he would therefore go on to unpack what loving actions are apart from relationship with God? It would be very strange. Yet he doesn't. I want you to turn to another passage, 2 Corinthians 8. Because here's another passage. At length, Paul is laboring to unfold his understanding of horizontal love. Here's his main point, and then we'll go back and read before. His main point is in verse 8. Corinthians I say this what we're going to read in a moment what he said before I say this not as a command that's Paul's way of saying not that he doesn't think they ought to do it his point is I want this to flow from your heart and not merely because I guess that's what I'm supposed to do he says I say this not as a command but in order to prove, by the example I just gave, by the earnestness of others, to prove that your love also is genuine love. That's why what he does, he gives the example of the Macedonian churches in digging deep into their pockets in order to give a lot of money For their brothers and sisters, way off in Jerusalem and Judea, experiencing famine. Go back to verse 1. Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Now what he's going to talk about here, he sees it as God's grace working. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction that they were going through, their abundance of joy. He goes to the motive. Something in them. Vertically. Their abundance of joy in Jesus mixed with they are not rich people. Mixed with their extreme poverty, together the joy and their poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, not only that, they gave beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of letting them partake in the relief of the saints in Judea. And this, not as we'd expected, but they gave themselves vertically first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Which leads him now to say, I say this not as a command, Corinthians, but to prove by the earnestness of the Macedonians that your love in this offering also be genuine. And the more Paul would see them begging him please let us give the more he would consider it pure love, genuine love. That's love, according to Paul. Remember, and Paul said, you can do all kinds of things. You can give all your money away. You can give your life away and not at all have genuine love. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians 13. And the reason is because this love, this gospel love flowing out horizontally is more than mere acts. Motive here is crucial. Paul says, they begged us. We are motivated by joy in the reward in God, by the experience of that joy overflowing in this life horizontally to others. That's why Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians, you all know that passage, God loves all givers equally. No, He doesn't. God loves a cheerful, joyful giver, lover, doer, sacrificer. they do it for the joy in their relationship in God being experienced now overflowingly to others. I, th- I think is we're all human here so we're a good test case. We know that when someone does us things, loving deeds, acts, that just that's genuine love, and you're so blessed by it. And other times we know, you realize, sometimes not immediately, you realize down the road, oh my gosh, I had no idea there were that many strings attached for them helping me. And maybe you've, you've done it. We were all sinners. You'll know that it wasn't really a genuine love if you've had people over to the house for Dinner served them, cooked, labored, cleaned the house, and had a good talk. If, as weeks go by and two months go by, you start to get a little hurt because they have not reciprocated and asked you over for dinner. Why would that be? Genuine love, I know there's digressions of it, but at its core would have been for the pure joy of having them over for dinner and it's done it has ended and that that they actually liked the food and enjoyed the time and the more that happens the more happy you are that's love it culminated and ended on that act no strings attached because your joy your reward is Jesus. It's already in heaven. You're not looking to give. Remember Jesus, you give that radical little illustration. When you invite people for banquets, don't go to the rich, don't go to that. You might expect something in return. Go to those who can't pay you back. You'll be really safe there because he's driving at motive when he says it. So, let's backtrack over these last two weeks briefly. First, we have seen As creatures here, the only non-sinful approach to God in our relationship with Him is to get, not to give Him. Is to thirst, to yearn. The only way to glorify the all-sufficiency of who God is is, is to come to Him because we know and are convinced in His presence is fullness of joy forever. And that's the Christian life ongoingly of sanctification. Now, you take that vertical and you lay it down horizontally. We don't abandon our walk with Jesus. We don't abandon our prayer life, our word life, our trusting in Him life, our joy in Him vertically. And just, I guess I'm supposed to go now, to, excuse me God, i got to go do some good deeds over here. And they're separated. No. You, we walk with the desire of experiencing that joy in the dynamic of God using us overflowing to other people, because it is joyful to enjoy God, and it's even more joyful to be used by God in meeting the needs of the overflow that He gives to us. Now, you look bored. You getting this? Okay. Now, 260, 70 years ago, Jonathan Edwards said it this way. In some sense, The most benevolent, generous person in the world seeks his own happiness in doing good to others. Because he places his happiness in their good. His mind is so enlarged as to take them, the other person, as it were, into himself. And thus, when they're happy, he feels it. He partakes with them and is happy in their happiness. And so love is, that's end quote, the overflow. The expansion of our joy in God by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, which then happily and gladly meets the needs of others. As Paul said, they begged us, please let us partake and give. Now, I just want to, if that settles in. this is gospel joy say it clearly this is the joy that comes to those whose eyes have been opened mercifully by the Spirit that death is rushing at them at 190 miles an hour and there's a judgment day and there's a promise that that man Christ Jesus who was raised from the dead will return one day and raise from the dead all who belong to Him and usher them into the experience of His glory in an unhindered way that they experience now. The vast majority of their joy is anchored in the future. That vertical joy that thus it, it it trickles out thus now because of the hope that is laid before us. And therefore, that overflowing here, now, during this life horizontally, is often costly. Costs. A lot of stuff for many their lives. Jesus said it this way in John 12, 25. Whoever loses his life, excuse me, backward. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So the motive in our loving others, in sacrifice, in Paul, why would you suffer so many things? He would say, are you kidding me? temporary, pleasure, peace, physically, emotionally, and it's over, versus eternal, unending joy in the Creator, in the Savior, in the resurrection, forever. He would say, are you kidding me? Did you not hear what Jesus said? happily, in that sense, hate my life here, and spend it on others. The motive for temporal, temporal denial is the joy of the reward forever. So, I'm going to give three examples from the Bible, just... Take that theology and see if that isn't the theology that is behind these three passages from the book of Hebrews, one in chapter 10, one in chapter 11, and one in chapter 12. First in chapter 11, the writer writes to the church, (coughs) But recall the former days, numbers of years ago, when after you were enlightened, you came to Christ, you were born again, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those who were so treated which I think it's got to me. Your partners, you weren't treated. You got free of that. Some of you says, okay, but I'm still going to go give them some food while they're in prison. I'm still going to bring them clothes. I'm going to visit them and it's going to expose me Is one of these Christians. He says this, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully, there it is, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. They took your stuff and you joyfully accepted it. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That's why. Again, that, the writer says, your motive for your horizontal loving deeds of having compassion on fellow believers in prison was rooted in your future joy that's promised. And so he says to them, therefore, believer, do not Throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Gosh, it would be so horrific for someone. Look at Serge back there. We met at age 21. And we met because we both recently were converted to Jesus out of horrifically stupid lives. And it would be so sad if he or I over the next 15 years, would chuck it all. Chapter 11, the writer writes, By faith, Moses, faith is a vertical thing, trust in God, by faith, trust in God, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Why would he choose that? Let's read it. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. This is how he did it. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the reward. Moses, why would you love these hard-hearted, rebellious people for so long in the wilderness? Wasn't easy. I had my problems. But I, overall, was looking to the reward forever. Now, in Hebrews 12, consider one last one. The example of the greatest act by any human being ever loving others. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Now he defines Jesus here. This is the one who, for the joy that was set before him, He endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of heaven. Jesus, there are those who think that true love is absolutely disinterested personally. And if you have any interest in your action of love for yourself that is by definition not love, Well, if that's true, then this is not love. But if Hebrews is true, then those philosophers and that idea is absolutely wrong. What is it, Jesus, that got you up from the garden to get arrested and to lay down your life? in the brutal torture the joy not in that there was no joy in and of itself in that it was the joy that was set on the other side of that the joy of the glory of God extended in redemption to all whom the father has given to him And So, let me just summarize where we've been. For new creatures in Jesus, born again by the Spirit, loving others, seeks to experience joy in God flowing through us. See, we don't just want to see the grace of God meeting a need and the grace of God saving a sinner who is outside of Christ, coming into Christ. We want that. That's awesome. But we want to experience that personally more. Don't we? Please use me. Can, can I say something or do something to be the vehicle for that? And then within the body of Christ, How we are all desperately broken and constantly in need and that person said that thing or ministered to me that way? Whether with things or with words or with prayer, don't we want to participate in the joy of watching God act? The answer is yes. And it's appropriate. And it's good. And we should long for it. We would actually do more loving acts the more we did that. So that's, in other words, what our new life in Jesus produces. Our longing to experience our joy in God in meeting the needs of others with our money, our time, and our giftings. I don't, I don't think we have anything else, do we? Let me know after. If you, is there anything else that we have down here than that? Our need love being met as Christians vertically by the indwelling of the Spirit. And that fullness of peace and joy and of eternal security yearns to be expanded and doubled and experienced all the more as it overflows horizontally. Let me say it one more way and I'm closing. This is the yearning for The thrill of feeling God's power through His Word and through the Holy Spirit constantly conquering our sinful, short-sighted, selfish feelings of unloving behavior. That's the Christian life to love to feel it, to want to experience it more. That's the activity, that's the movement, that's the growth of what it is to be a Christian. So I close with Paul's words to the Thessalonians. It's very brief. And my prayer is that it may be said also of us We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Faith growing vertically love for one another increasing horizontally. Let's pray. So Father may we yearn more so As Paul also said to the Thessalonians, your love is amazing in what God's doing, but I'm praying that it expand even more and more and more. Father, may we yearn to see your work upon our sinful disposition day by day, to lay aside temporal selfishness, to yearn and long for the hope that is set before us, overflowing and meeting the needs of others. Sanctify us, O Lord Jesus. Amen.